everyone. I would like to welcome you to this week's episode of MX Real Talk. This is Gabriella Spencer, the Program Associate Manager here at MX, and I am joined today with some lovely panelists. Um, I'll allow them to introduce themselves right now. So Esther, would you like to introduce yourself? Okay, so um, my name is Esther Ross. I am. I live in Greenville, North Carolina. Um, my roots is South Carolina, North Carolina, New York. I am currently um, working with NMAC and the 50 Plus program um, and other uh, initiatives. I consider myself an advocate, activist for anything uh, dealing with uh, women and um, HIV, just to increase awareness. Um, and I also run a nonprofit uh, that's been around for about 26 years. It's called Circle Friends, and we provide all kind of different uh, resources to people living with HIV and including their family um, and supports. Thank you so much, Esther. Kiva, can you introduce yourself, please? Sure. Aloha. My name is Kiva Kadina. I'm coming to you all the way from the big island of Hawaii, where I'm the Director of Harm Reduction Services at Kumukahi Health and Wellness. I'm a Native Hawaiian transgender woman. I've been living with HIV since 2004. I serve on the Positively Trans National Advisory Board. Um, I'm certified as a trainer for the Positive Women's Network, and I also am a member of the National Native HIV Network. So I stay busy, um, but really happy to do this work and really grateful to be a part of this panel with all of these beautiful women. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much, Kiva. Danielle? Hi, I'm Danielle Miguel. I'm coming out of the Bay Area in California. I work with NMAC through the Asian and youth communities. So I'm part of their constituent advisory panels there. And I've been working in HIV work for the last about four years, um, doing mostly sexual health education, but also working with patients and community members to destigmatize it. Thank you, Danielle. Farah. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Farrah June, and I am a multimedia artist from Boston. Um, I like to consider myself a growing artist, and I use my creativity to help my peers, elders, and ancestors feel empowered, represented, and loved. Um, I mostly do illustration, but I'm also a community television producer, and I use both of those platforms to tell stories, and um, I've been really proud to be part of NMAC family um, previously as a youth scholar for the um, NMAC Youth Initiative, and now um, this year I get to be the lead champion for the NMAC Youth Initiative, so I'm really happy to also be here with all these beautiful women. Thank you so much, Farah. So I am joined today with these lovely panelists, and we're going to talk a little bit about um, National Women and Girls HIV Awareness Day. And I'm going to just give a brief history about what the purpose of that day is. It is a day to raise awareness about the impact of HIV on women and show support for women and girls with HIV. So these panelists, I'm going to ask them a couple of questions, and we're just going to, you know, figure out what we can do for the community and how we can help out. And so I'll start with an icebreaker question and I will start with what woman inspires you the most? Danielle, would you like to tackle this question? 
Yeah, I actually get asked this question a lot, surprisingly. Um, and my answer is usually always the same. Honestly, I would say that my best friend, um, I've known her since we were about six years old. And even as like we grew up, I've noticed that a lot of the qualities that I admire, I've picked up from her. A lot of the strong willingness, stubbornness, uh, assertiveness. I think that's the type of quality that I've picked up from her, but also really love looking towards, especially because it radiates to the people around us. Many of our girlfriends pretty much pick up from that. It's really inspiring in the sense that it not only feels empowering, but also feels very natural too. Wow, that is a really great answer. Thank you, Danielle. Farah, would you like to tackle this question? Sure, that was beautiful, Danielle. Um, I would like to say the woman I look to look up to the most is my mom. <laughs> um, I admire so much about her, especially now as a as I'm you know becoming more growing into my adulthood. I admire her her strength and especially how she shows up in the world when she's not feeling her best. And then also just women that I've met along during my life that have always empowered me and always challenged me to you know take on. Uh, risks and not be afraid to speak up, even if I felt afraid to. So yeah, I would just say my mom and the community of women that I've met along the way. I definitely agree with that. Taking risk and not being able to speak up, that is something that I'm definitely working on right now. Esther, what woman inspires you the most? Well, it's so many women that has inspired me over, you know, the course of my life. I'm, I'll be 61 years old, April 22nd, but I would say the 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 one that really um, helped me at my lowest point um, when I was diagnosed with HIV and told that I would be dead in six months was Angela Davis. And this was the quote when I was considering um, disclosing and, and getting into this work. Uh, someone uh, shared this quote with me and I've always used it. And the quote is, I think the importance of doing activist work is precisely because it allows you to give back and to consider yourself not as a single individual who may have achieved whatever, but to be a part of an ongoing historical movement. And I feel that, you know, I'm part of this work because I'm a, I am a woman living with HIV and, and and it's not over. It will continue to work to be done. And and she inspires me every day um, to keep going despite any challenge I may face. I think about that and realize that I'm not doing this just for myself. It's for the other women standing with me and for those uh, to come. Thank you, Esther. It is important that we are not alone in this and it is for other people and those to come, I really like that. Kiva? Um, sure. I'm, I like that you, the way that you worded the question, what women inspires me the most. Because um, like, just like Esther said, there's so many, um, especially doing this work in advocacy and social justice and community providing um, community support and navigation. It's really um, difficult just to choose one particular person. Um, and I've been in this field of work over the last 12 years, and I found so many qualities in so many different women 
that I try to emulate and that I use as motivation and as a guideline and, a, and as a recipe for my own efforts. Um, people like Cecilia Chung and Valerie Spencer, who unapologetically stand in their convictions and, um, and really set, uh, pave a way for others to be able to stand up um, fearlessly and fight for the things that uh, we believe are right. Um, people like Barb Cardell and Nana Kana, um, it, there's just so many. And then people like my own mother who um, had to fight adversity and, um, and experience divorce and heartbreak and abuse. And, um, and at 71 years old, you know, she's paved a way for herself and she made the path herself. And, um, and I'm really proud of the woman that she is. And I hope to be just, a, a, just even a fraction of, of, the, of her strength would be, um, would be something that I would hold a lot of pride to know that I have. Thank you, Kiva. That was really powerful. And thank you for noticing the intentionality because when I worded the question, I was like, I can't think of a singular woman too. Like it's so many women that have inspired me to be where I am. So thank you so much for noticing that. Um, so we're going to start off with how can we better serve your community? So Farah, how can we better serve your community? Yeah, I think that's a really great question. I think one of the things I've learned, especially like in my work in advocacy and as I'm growing and I'm learning a lot more um, is to kind of just, you know, use your gifts to, you know, um, empower your community. Because I, I remember when I first got started in HIV advocacy work, um, I didn't study public health in school. I didn't I didn't know much about HIV and STDs and all that. I actually got into the work kind of by meeting this woman in an art class because I'm an artist by trade. Uh, and she told me she had a, a, an organization here in Boston called ABCD Services. And she had a social media campaign called Sister to Sister. And they basically was trying to educate young women, particularly Black and Latinx women and girls here in Boston about um, HIV prevention and STDs. And I didn't know much about it. And I remember you, I'm feeling like a lot of imposter syndrome because I was like, oh, I don't like public speaking. I don't really know a lot about this. But I remember her just really encouraging me to kind of use my own skills to get the message out. And I was like, all right, I might not be comfortable doing public speaking, but I like to draw. I like to make videos. I know social media. I could use some of those skills to get the word out, encourage people to go get tested or get you know connected to um, resources that they need to keep them thriving. And that's basically what I've learned. I would say the best way for you to connect commu your community and get them activated is to use your own skills. And don't be afraid to learn um, and to ask for help. Also, like, give other people their flowers. Because I know when I first went to the NMAC, U-S-C-H-A, I think I said it right, um, I remember just being overwhelmed because there were so many great leaders I was meeting from the nation that have been doing this work for years before I was born. And I remember just feeling so, like, inspired by them. So, like, giving them their flowers and also learning from what they've been through and how I could, you know, put some of their wisdom and some of, you know, their their work into my own work, I think really um, inspires me to get the message out. Thank you, Farrah. That was really great. I really liked how you played on your strengths. You noticed that you're not, you're great at public speaking now, but you had said you weren't great at public speaking, but you're very creative. So you use your creativity to better serve your community. I really like that. Esther, would you like to tackle the question? I really appreciate uh, Farrah's response because myself, I myself, I, I wasn't a, a great speaker and a lot of 
um, the skills that I have now or aspire to be is because of a social worker um, that saw the intersectionality that I was involved with, you know, drugs, um, uh, mental wellness, verbal and um, domestic violence, intimate partner violence, all these different intersectionalities. And, you know, I was overwhelmed and um, she helped me like address each one. But the first one she did was she sent me to get educated um, because I couldn't fight something I didn't know about. And I think that's one of the things that is so is still so powerful on um, what we can do better in the community is to continue um, to share the information that we have, but also recognize that, you know, they are champions and leaders in each one of us. Um, and when you recognize the gift in yourself, I think it, it makes you uh, recognize the gifts in others. And then, um, then you have um, some sustainable interventions that help a community thrive instead of um, and and assess their resources. So, you know, that's one of the things that we can do better is to listen to the community, um, impart information to them, which is so powerful, and recognize that everyone is valuable. I don't care what whose voice, what your gift is. It could be art. It could be writing letters. It could be speaking. It could be every anything. But it takes more than one person. It takes a village to really change this atmosphere um, so that we can make sure that women all over the world, no matter where they at, um, are, are influencing other women so that we can stop HIV in our communities. I mean... Um, that that is one of the things that and then understanding the community. I could talk all day about that, but you know, it's so important to do that to just to get in, ask them questions, become part of them, and not leave them when the the funding is over with. You still have a responsibility to give that community information um so that they can pass that on to future leaders. Thank you, Esther. Kiva, would you like to tackle the question? I would love to. Um, it's hard to follow um, those two amazing answers. And I was actually taking notes as Farah and Esther were speaking because um, so much of what they were saying was resonating within me um, about on this question. And, and I like how the both of them talked about focusing on a person's talents and skills, focusing um, on the the strengths that others bring to the table um, because we are an amazingly diverse community, um, an amazingly diverse community of women, cis and trans, but then an amazingly diverse community of people living with HIV as well. And I think that working on the front lines for so many years, providing um, navigation for people that are newly diagnosed with the virus has really shown me one particular um, important thing, and that is that 
The majority of women, cis or trans, that have been diagnosed with HIV have experienced a significant amount of trauma, which had led to their exposure and to their diagnosis, right? When we take that trauma, if we learn how to cultivate strength from those experiences, if we learn how to hone in the strengths and the power um, that we have gained from experiencing those and walking through it and building our own strength and finding our own um, power and acceptance, Um, in those experiences, um, there's amazing things that we can accomplish um, sitting at these advocacy and social justice tables. And that's something that I think that oftentimes we fail to see. Sometimes I think that we all too often see the trauma and try to protect each other from it, which is natural. We just want to make sure that everybody's safe and good and happy and okay. But um, I think that we need to find ways to build on the the lived experiences of so many cis and trans women that come into these uh, spaces and help them to cultivate what power that they have through their lived experiences. Um, And seeing that as um, seeing those what have many consider liabilities as as a unique asset to create change um, from the outside sources that uh, we have to depend on, funders, uh, pharmaceutical companies, legislation, our uh, political representatives, use those strengths and talents um, in order to create change in those spaces. It's what I see that um, creates the most uh, passion in people that do this work is those lived experiences. Sometimes I think we don't understand that those lived experiences comes with a lot of stuff um, and we don't do enough to make sure that we are um, caring for the stuff in order to build those powers and those strengths and those skills. So that's what I would like to see um, from from places like NMAC and other HIV resources um, as we build leaders in this work. Thank you, Kiva. Danielle? Yeah, I have reflected on all the wonderful things that my fellow panelists have said, and I'm really appreciative of the emphasis on the value of every individual here, especially throughout everybody's responses. I think the biggest thing that I would want to see, at least on a wide-scale community effort, would be utilizing more space and resources to kind of nurture mentorship. And that can look like so many different things depending on what the needs are, um, what communities kind of like reflect the mission. And then on top of that, just thinking about how to better nurture what talents everybody mentioned for each individual. Because I know sometimes, like for example, with myself, I would rather be hands-on and directly working with patients and community members, whether it's educating or providing medical services or working on harm reduction. But some people, they like to utilize their skills in terms of just being able to connect folks to resources or even just like working on a policy level. So I think really providing space for mentorship could pretty much support all of that, especially in terms of not not burning out, um, being able to kind of like complement each other on a level of community, but also on a level of, you know, moving the work forward, especially for the generations to come. Thank you so much, Nia. So my next question 
is about stigma, but I want to give a brief statistic before, before I go into the question. So in 2018, the CDC stated that women experience higher HIV stigma than people overall. So with that in mind, how do you think we can reduce stigma in your community? Esther, would you like to begin? It's not going to be a one-size-fit-all. I'm finding out that there's so many different levels of stigma. Um, and I'm just realizing that there's um, internal stigma, there's systemic stigma. And the way that I would like to reduce it is building on what everyone mentioned about their own uh, personal uh, wealth and resources um, and support um, through um, um, the Circle Friends had developed a mentorship program called Leaders Advocating Mentoring Personal Growth and Support. And it was really for women um, who were um, HIV 50 and older who thought their life was over with. They really didn't feel, they felt left out. Um, and these were um, so transgender women um, and cisgendered women. Um, and they felt left out. They really, some of them were long-term survivors. Some of them were born with HIV and happened to be living a long time, over 20 years uh, with the virus. And they felt that they didn't have anything to give back. Just them um, by learning different information and getting educated and that willingness they were able to mentor each other and recognize their own strength. And I think, you know, the only way we can reduce stigma is getting everyone involved. You know, this is not just uh, myself living with HIV. It's also um, the doctor. It's also the person that works in the hair salon because HIV doesn't discriminate. And that's one way we can reduce it. Um, in our community is make it very plain that this this virus does not discriminate um, and you can get it and but you can live with it and you know and that's the only way um, that we can reduce um, the fear because that's where stigma comes from is from the fear and I didn't want to keep going on but it's so many different things. It's, you know, intersectionality and, and all these different things. It's so many systems in place that really promote stigma, like especially how HIV was perceived in the beginning of this epidemic. Uh, we're still dealing with that. You know, um, people thinking it's a gay white man's disease and, it, and it's not. Um, anyone can get it. And I think... Um, that's the, the, the we have to continue to put that message out in the community um, uh, until you know they can uh, accept it, um, and when it gets uh, normalized, that's when we can really put some effort behind um, reducing stigma in our community. Thank you, Esther Kiva. I'll try to keep it brief because I know we're running short on time, but um, I think Esther said it perfectly. Um, it's about normalizing it. Um, when you're thinking of internalized or systemic or societal stigmas, um, all of that is all learned. 
it's all learned from the things that we have seen or experienced in the community, um, on TV, um, in conversations with our circles, with our families. And, and so really, you know, normalizing HIV, starting from the top um, in legislation, normalizing HIV in healthcare, uh, normalizing HIV in the school systems where people can get educated and awareness is there normalizing HIV in everyday family conversation and normalizing HIV in sexual health settings. Now, when we're doing that, stigma is not going to go away overnight, but I think that people living with HIV are going to be able to see more and more that there is opportunities to become empowered by these avenues of, of sending out the message of what HIV really is today in 2022. And when we normalizing it in healthcare and in the school system, people that are not living with HIV that may have never been affected by the virus yet have opportunities to learn about the virus, to have comfortable conversations, to ask questions in, in, in community spaces. That's really the key. And and we're on our way. You know, I always get excited when I see commercials about, you know, things like Big Tarvi or Prep on TV. Um, we didn't see that 10 years ago. I always get excited when I see parents talking about HIV to their children, or I know that uh, people that are not part of the LGBTQ community are going in and addressing HIV testing with their primary care providers. Like these are all ways that we're slowly and gradually getting to a sense of normalizing this 40-year-old conversation. It's about that time that we do that. Thank you, Kiva. So Danielle and Farah, I actually want to change the question and ask you all about allyship. So why is allyship important to ending the epidemic and what does allyship look like to you? Danielle, would you like to start? Yeah, sure. Um, Allyship is really, really important in my opinion. Especially because oftentimes I feel like it starts with a lot of education being needed to be addressed on the end of not only advocacy, but also in terms of just like being present with the movement. And in terms of how it looks like, I feel like it can take all forms, um, whether it's sharing resources online, whether it's being there for a loved one who might be living with HIV, or even just being there to really learn. And I think it's really significant to, you know, um, invest in developing more allyship with certain communities and identities, just because going back to the previous question around stigma, I think it becomes difficult to navigate conversations. And it kind of gets overbearing for certain folks. Um, if they're speaking on behalf of particular experiences. And I think that in terms of just fostering what allyship looks like, it could continuously grow as well. In the previous years, I feel like my work with youth has particularly been a good reflection of that, just because young people are always learning and the introduction of HIV and AIDS conversations in their sexual health education courses uh, through the spaces that I've worked with, has helped a lot. I find a lot of teenagers who are interested in doing more HIV work, they ask questions about why it's not talked about enough. They get excited when they see it in particular shows. Um, And it's really nice to see people start to invest themselves in particular causes 
just because, you know, it's out of that pure sense of community and like the interest to end the epidemic. So that's where I'm at in terms of that question. Thank you, Danielle. Farah? Yeah, I think Danielle um, did a beautiful job of explaining what allyship could look like and what it's looked like for her. Um, I would definitely agree. I think allyship could look, you know, it could be seen in so many ways. It could be done in so many ways. But I feel like what I've learned through the years is like allyship is also recognizing your privilege. So I know that like, you know, I have privilege as a cisgendered black woman. Um, who's heterosexual, being in, you know, rooms that I never thought I would be in at, like, conferences, learning more about the HIV movement, learning more about how I could, you know, destigmatize things, learning how I could have conversations, how to use people-first language. Um, all of that, I feel like, has been a really good opportunity for me to enhance my intellect, but also to know how can I use my privilege um, to help others and to help others, like, be more educated or, you know, connect people to resources and tools that they may need. And I feel like I've learned from the people I've met. I think I to be honest, I'm I'm inspired to be in this you know panel panel discussion now learning from all these um beautiful women and all the work that they've done but also in other spaces where you know I don't know I didn't know that HIV was not just you know something that was like a biomedical issue I didn't know that it also you know is a it affects you know homeless homelessness it affects you know social justice it's like so many layers attached to it so I feel like as an ally I've been able to learn a lot more and also just not being afraid to ask questions if I didn't understand something so I think it could be it could be done in a lot of different ways but I think one of the most things you should do is definitely recognize your privilege um, recognize when to speak and when to just listen I think that's another thing that people should also learn um, and also just be there I think like just what Danielle was saying um, previously about like stigma I think that's how we could really end stigma is by getting more allyship and getting more people involved. So that way it could really strengthen our humanity. I think it strengthens our humanity when we're able to have empathy for others. Just because um, I'm not a, li a woman living with HIV doesn't mean that I shouldn't care for my fellow sister or brother who is, you know? So I think um, allyship could be done in many different ways. And I think it's extremely important for us to, to grow and to thrive and to hopefully, you know, help more people around the world who are living um, with HIV or um, impacted by it. Thank you, Farah. And my final question will go to everyone. And so the final question is, what advice would you give to women in the HIV movement? And how do you encourage other women to join the movement in your community? I know this is a two-part question. Kiva, I'm going to start with you. You know, I encourage women to stand strong in their convictions. I think um, there's nothing, to me, there's nothing more beautiful in a woman than to seeing her warrior come out. I think for so many generations, women, whether cis or trans, have been silenced, um, especially in the world of HIV. Um, and when you look at the leadership today of community advocates and activists, and, um, and uh, providers, uh, there's so many powerful women that um, they create the change, they cultivate new leadership, they uh, change the minds of people um, that, have, that have been adversaries in this work. And, um, and I just think that it's really, really important to not be swayed. Use, um, you know, follow your heart and follow your passion. Know what you believe in. 
um, and know the path that and know the path that you need to get on to to accomplish those goals. I know that it seems it sounds like very kind of like cliche, but you know, like I said, there's nothing stronger than than a warrior woman. And um, cis and trans both have um, have had a lot of hardships around uh, HIV advocacy and um, and seeking services uh, that are that have been uh, made for us or made by us um, to seek intervention models and care models that have been made for us and by us. And, and it's about that time that we start to take the, on those roles um, of leadership to help cultivate services, programs, initiatives that are focused on um, empowering and the betterment of, of cis and transgender women. Thank you, Kiva. Danielle? I've thought really long and hard about this. It's either between the cliche, you're not alone. Just because for me, wherever any woman is at, whether they're learning about HIV, whether they're newly diagnosed, you know, the type of work that they do, they're always going to have people there who are experiencing similar situations. And I think that helps with pretty much addressing like stigma, you know, like there's a growing process, but you're not learning things or growing or experiencing things alone just because of that. And the other thing that I thought about was you're powerful, especially contributing to the movement. If you're interested, if you're curious, and if you're willing to take the next step, stepping into contributing to the work, especially contributing to the generations, you know, efforts that have came before us, I think that whatever asset you have as an individual will play into that. On top of that, it's not going to go to waste. It's always going to contribute to something, whether it's, you know, mentoring the next generation, whether it's bringing care to an individual, or even just like passing along information and kind of like recruiting more folks for the movement. I think that's two valuable um, pieces of information that I would want to say to people who are interested or, you know, new to the topic of HIV and the movements that are addressing it. So that's where I'm at there. Thank you, Danielle. Esther? I really appreciate everyone. You know, never underestimate the power of a woman. And uh, just like that was shared um, on almost by everyone on this panel, it's like we can't do it alone. Um, So I, I need a cheerleader. I need a support system. That's one of the things that um, I would, the advice I would give uh, women on this um, that choose to go this route and and uh, in the movement, uh, HIV movement, whether you're HIV positive or HIV negative, never underestimate what you have, the power you have to change things, to change stigma to change and get resources in your community. Never underestimate that. And to make sure self-care is so important, you know, um, because you can get burnt out. Um, You can get burnt out and then you can encourage someone to get involved in this movement and they don't have the support systems set up to take care of themselves. So that's one advice I would get. And always... Uh, a commitment to ongoing learning, 
learn about myself, learn about this movement, just continue to learn and then share the information that you learn with someone else. Um, and I think um, that is one of the ways that we can encourage, which which has worked for me, that I've encouraged women to get involved with this movement. And it's not only women who um, have HIV, it's women that are leaders in their community. And, um, and, I, and when we support one another, we give each other, uh, we let that power shine, you know, and we become a force to work with. You know, uh, one of the things w- we were dubbed, um, some five women from uh, North Carolina, we were dubbed the We Team of the East, Women Empowerment, Girls on Fire. When we went to the legislators, you know, they they dubbed us Girls on Fire because we got information from the community and took it straight to our senators, um, anybody that would listen to get some things changed in our community. And, and, and that's what I would leave with is ongoing learning, self-care, and make sure you have a support, a good support system. Thank you, Esther. Fair? Wow, that's really hard to follow up with all these queens. They all shared amazing, amazing advice and wisdom. And I would echo everything that they said. I agree 1 million percent. I I agree a lot with what Esther just said of just making sure that you're like pouring love into yourself. Um, I know that people could get burned out, especially in the public health field and doing this kind of work. So making sure that you're taking care of yourself. And that doesn't mean that you have to buy material things necessarily to take care of yourself. But, you know, self-love could be you taking a break. Self-love could be you getting tested. Self-love could be, you know, so many different things as long as you're protecting your peace. And I think once you're able to do that, you're able to take care of your community and care for your sisters and your brothers. And also, I just want to say to make sure that you know you are valuable and that you're needed in this movement. I remember, like, again, I said earlier, of like having imposter syndrome and feeling like I don't know what my place would be. But everyone has a, a voice. Everyone has a purpose. Um, and even if you don't know what your purpose is, you have one and it's important um, and it's needed. We need um, allies in this in this movement. We need people who actually genuinely care um, and want to make a difference. So I would just say that know that you have greatness in your DNA and don't be afraid to go find it um, and connect with other people. If you don't have supporters within your space, you could always find supporters. You could always reach out to NMAC um, or all these beautiful panelists. Um, just know that, like how Danielle was saying earlier, you're never alone. Thank you, Farah. And thank you to all of my panelists. This was truly a beautiful discussion. I could not have imagined it going any better than this. Like you all really showed up and showed out. And I do want to know that this is just one of many discussions because we can't get everyone in the room, unfortunately, but we're gonna go to every room. And this year we are launching our GLOW, um, our women's program. It's growing leadership opportunity for women. And the theme for this year is we glow when we listen. So we're gonna have multiple listening sessions throughout this year so we can hear from the community and make sure that every voice is heard. So thank you all for joining and thank you to my panelists. This is really great. And I hope you all have a great evening.